start with a reading of that verse. That's what we've read the last uh, few weeks that we have dealt with the attributes of God. We've been doing a series uh, on Bible doctrine, and we're currently on the attributes of the Lord, and we're only doing three lessons on this, so we could spend one lesson on each one. It just wasn't our desire to uh, do weeks upon weeks or even a year or so on this one subject. Uh, we'll always be studying the subject of God, and it's, it feels very hard to try to talk about the attributes of God in only three messages. Um, it, you just can't do all that, uh, but we're trying to do our best to sum some things up. Um, how do you sum up God? You just can't. So I, I can't even get my language right in that. But in Daniel eleven thirty two, we start with the reading of this verse uh, for these messages on the attributes of God, and the part B there where it says the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits or do great works. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask for your help, Lord, as we continue in this series of Bible doctrine and as we uh, are at the section of, uh, Lord, your attributes, I pray that we would have a better understanding of your nature, of who you are. For we have a promise here on your word that the people that know you shall be strong and do great things. And Father, I pray that we would know you more fully in accordance to your word as you reveal yourself therein. Help us have a clear understanding of your nature, of your character, that it might help us, Lord, to, to frame us and the works that you would have us to do and, and also to strengthen us in those works. Uh, Father, I pray that you would help us, Lord, that we would have a, a proper understanding of you, that we would uh, understand that you have revealed yourself to us through the word and that we would believe in all that you are and all that, uh, that you uh, do. Father, help us. We are a weak and needy people. And I pray that you would help us to see you clearly this morning in the Scriptures of truth. In Jesus' name we pray, and amen. We've begun each message on the attributes of God with this declaration in Daniel. I think just about every time I've taught on the attributes of God in my ministry, I just love Daniel 11.32. I think I read a devotion many years ago, probably 20 years ago by C.H. Spurgeon uh, and on Daniel 11.32, and it just always stuck with me. But it reminds us, this little short uh, portion of that verse reminds us of how one of the reasons it's so important to have a clear understanding of our God and of His nature. The people that know their God shall be strong. Now that word know, it, it implies a knowledge of God, but also I think implies an intimacy with God as well, which we're actually not getting into as much. But we need to know who God is, but how can we be intimate with a God that we do not have a knowledge of who He is? It's important that we know God. We're taught here that it will give us strength. It will empower us to do the work of God. A knowledge of God defines the works we get in. Uh, some people get into certain works and it doesn't line up with who God is Himself. It actually goes against His very nature. Uh, we want to know who God is because it defines the type of works we do. And also knowing our God and walking with our God, being intimate with our God, will strengthen us to do the works that He has called us to do. The attributes we have briefly considered so far have been the self-existence of God, the immutability of God, the sovereignty of God. Uh, last week was the holiness of God, the omnipresence of God, and the omniscience of God. You know, meditating upon the character and nature of our God should strengthen our faith, define our faith, 
and, and help us to, to do what the Lord would have us to do in our life and our service to Him. It should help us to be more resolved in our life when we see the glories of the nature of our God. You know, one of the things that should move us and, and encourage us to do more for our God is God Himself. is who He is. I mean, we can have all kinds of pep rallies and encouragements and, and, and try to sometimes, well, well, you're wonderful, you're great, and, and God needs you kind of stuff, right? And some people try to get motivated by that stuff. But I'm telling you, as people of God, we need to be motivated by the very fact and reality of who God Himself is. Not in how wonderful we are or what we can contribute to the kingdom, okay? But in who God is. That should be our motivation. He is holy. He is just. He is good. He is sovereign. He is love. He is all of those things. He is merciful. He is just. He is truth. He is all of those things. And when we see God in the fullness of who He is more and more, we should be greatly encouraged to say, Lord, Help me to know what to do. And Lord, give me the strength to do it. May we continue to grow in our knowledge of Him, and our meditation of Him. There's no greater thing to think upon than the person of God Himself. Grow in our meditation and our faith in who God is. We've made reference to how sometimes we get off balance in our knowledge of God. Maybe we only think about one aspect of God for and that's all we think about. And that, that's good to meditate sometimes, maybe on one aspect of God, but we need to trust in all of who God is and know fully of who He is. And again, like we said last week, it's not enough for us to simply fill out an answer sheet you know, of, of a test or a quiz and, and to be able to answer true or false. Is God holy? Yes. Is God sovereign? Yes. Is God just? Yes. Is God truth? Yes. Yeah, we might be able to answer those questions, but to live in a reality of faith in such a God will change every aspect of our life. If we know and trust in this true and living God, we will be radically changed. Let's go on to the next attribute of God we want to meditate upon uh, this morning. Let's speak on the veracity of God. The veracity of God. By veracity... That word veracity means that God is absolute truth. Or God is absolutely truthful and faithful. And that's who God is. God is truthful and God is faithful in His revelation and His dealings with His creatures. In Titus 1-2, Paul tells young Titus, it says that God cannot lie. And Jesus tells us very clearly who the father of lies is, right? It is Satan himself. And we have lies and we have truth. And God is the author of truth. The Lord Jesus Christ is called the One who is full of grace and truth. To really want grace, you also need truth. If you want the fullness of who Jesus is, you can't just want, well, I want the grace of God in my life. I want the grace of God in my life. To want Jesus, you need to want His truth as well in your life. We have a lot of people, they want mercy and they want grace of God. Oh, I want God's mercy, I want God's grace. But they don't want truth. Well, He is the embodiment of truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. He is truth. God is the complete embodiment of truth. All truth comes from Him. And sometimes we see a world that just wants, if you would, the mercy of God. Or, oh, I want the love of God, but we don't want... The truth of God. And what God says is true. 
The Spirit is called the Spirit of truth. Our God is a God of His Word. He keeps His Word. He is a true God who does true things. He is faithful to every promise that He's ever made. I mean, so much of the Word of God is, is, is prophetic. Approximately one-third, I believe, is, a, is prophetic of things to come. And He's been true to every bit of it that we have ever seen fulfilled in the Old Testament and the New Testament. God is true to His Word. He is faithful in every promise. Surely when our faith rests in the truthful and faithful God, listen, we will have our works defined. We will do true works. And our works will be strengthened by the Lord, empowered by the Lord, because He gets behind truth. He supports truth. Also, when we go to the Word of God, what good is all the Word of God that it tells us if God is not going to be true to what He has said? I mean, what good is a person's Word if they don't follow through? What good is this book if we... We can't call it the book of truth, right? If God doesn't perform and do everything that He has said in it. How can we take comfort in all of God's declarations that He has declared the end from the beginning? When He tells us that, how can we know that it's certain if He's not a God of truth? How can we ever console ourselves with, with any kind of comfort from Romans 8.28? That God works together all things to good for those who are called according to His purpose. How can we take any comfort, encouragement in that if God is not a God of truth? Every word is true. It would do us well to consider God's truthfulness, His faithfulness, His dependability every day. And I believe we will be encouraged to worship God each and every day as we meditate upon the truth of His truthfulness. We can go to the Word of God every day and know that God is speaking truth to us. You know, Jesus prayed to the Father and He said this, Sanctify them through uh, Your truth. Your Word is truth. The Word of God is what sanctifies us. It's what separates us. The Word of God sanctifies. It separates. That word sanctify means to set apart. Truth sets us apart. His truth sets us apart from what? From lies. Listen, our young people are being fed all kinds of lies. And there's only one thing that can separate them from those lies, to reveal to them those lies, to shine light on the darkness of those lies. And that is the truth of the living Word of God. His Word sanctifies us, sets us apart, makes us different. It defines who we are. I love this passage in 1 Thessalonians 5, that the passages in bold will... Uh, likely turn to. But in 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, verse 23 says, Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. I just Don't you love the, the, the confidence there uh, that Paul writes with that? He also will do it. Why? Because He's faithful. Our God is a faithful God. I, I love uh, that song that speaks about how faithful God is. What hope do we have that we will stand before God someday blameless 
if the Lord is not faithful to His Word to give us eternal life. He says, I pray your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of, our Jesus, of Jesus Christ. Listen, we don't do that for ourselves, but God is faithful who also will do it. He has done it all and He's going to continue to do it all in preserving our soul unto eternal life. Now again, we might think, just meditate upon one aspect of God and that God is faithful and we can get, be greatly encouraged by that. But it's one thing to be faithful, it's another thing to be, and, and to be true, but it's also another thing when you think about God's sovereignty and His power. You know, I want to be as truthful and honest as I can to, to keep my word when you say you're going to do something, but things happen. It's totally out of my control. And so when you think about God's truthfulness along with God's sovereignty, boy, there, there's a lot of blessing and encouragement and strength and power that comes to our faith in that. Because God's word is true and God is sovereign, He can carry out everything He's promised. How can I read Revelation and know it's going to happen exactly like the way it's written? Because one, God is true. God does not lie about what He says He's going to do. And God is sovereign. God is able to do what God says He's going to do. And so we can take comfort in that. And we can lay hold upon those passages like, well, that hasn't happened yet. And we can say, that's going to happen though. Why? Because God is true. And God is sovereign. If God is not all-powerful, then what good is any promise that He makes us? If God is not all-powerful, what, is the, is the, what good is any promise? If God is not all-powerful, then He cannot be true as well because He has said many things that have yet to come to pass. I love Hebrews chapter 6. It kind of combines those two thoughts together about God in regards to our faith as well in Him. But in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 18 and 19, it reads this. says, That by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation or comfort who have fled for refuge or lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters into the presence of behind the veil. Our hope and anchor is that God does not change and that God does not lie. If God is truth, then our concern should be with the truth and what the Word of God says. You know, it, it, it's, people say, well, I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. What do you mean by that? <laughs> I, I hear that sometimes. Say, well, well Jesus... And they use the name of Jesus in, in a way to stamp approval upon things that Jesus would never stamp approval upon. Jesus does not deny Himself and who He is. And what He has said in His Word is true and is still true and as it was before. If we want to follow Jesus and we want to be like Jesus, then we have to hold the truth, proclaim truth, and walk in truth. Many people are trying to lay claims to sometimes of Christianity, but they want to deny the absolute truth of the living Word of God. If the people that do know their God shall be strong, then listen, if we want to be strong 
in this world of lies, we've got to know the truth. The truth will set us free from the captivity of the bondage of lies that permeate our culture. You see how important it is to know God? How important it is to know that He's truth? How important it is to know His Word of truth? The people that know their God, their God of truth, shall be strong and do great works. If we're going to do anything great for God in our world that we live in today, we need to proclaim truth. We cannot reject this word of truth and yet somehow think that we are accepting of the God of the universe. I like this quote by John Piper. He said this. He said, Not to care about truth is to not care about God. To love God passionately is to love truth passionately. But you can't separate that. And we have so much today of a love, supposed love of God, but yet denies the very truth of the God they say they love. Being God-centered in, in life means being truth-driven in ministry. I love that. What is not true is not of God. What is false is anti-God. Indifference to the truth is indifference to the mind of God. Pretense is rebellion against reality, and what makes reality is God. Our concern with truth is simply an echo of our concern with God. I like all of those statements he puts there. Many in the world want a God without truth. Some people are religious by nature, they really are. And there's a drive in our world, I hope surely you have seen it, to be religious or a higher power even, or maybe mention God, but at the same time, a total denial of truth. Matter of fact, it's not God's truth anymore. It's your truth. Oh, I hate that statement. Well, what is your truth? <laughs> what is God's truth? That's what I need to be concerned about. My mind has still got the old nature in there whirling around that, that, can be, that can lie to myself and deceive myself. I can't depend upon myself to know what is true. I must depend upon what God says is true. Let's lay hold of God's Word, lay hold of every aspect of it, every sentence, every declaration, every promise, because we serve and trust in a truth-telling and faithful God. And if we want to be strong, in this world and culture that we live in, we've got to be a people of truth. But this world needs it. And I, I really believe this true. As much as I say about the culture and how bad things are getting, at the same time, I am seeing a hunger out there too for, in some people. I mean, I'm hearing testimonies sometimes of, of what God is doing in some people's lives. I'm like, man, God, God is moving. I'm excited about that. I'm very excited about that. Listen, we have, for a long time as Christians, we've been Christian for any time at all, we have seen many years where people just don't want to hear any, anything about God. And the world is still like that at large. But let me tell you what, there's a lot of people seem like that are willing to listen. God is maybe using the world and the bad things of it to, to make people think. I don't know what it is, but I'm hearing a lot more testimonies. That people just seem to be more open to, to hear uh, the Word of God. So I'm saying, whereas before you might have thought nobody wanted to listen, you need to be talking to people because 
people are starting to listen a little bit more sometimes. God is truth. Let us be people of truth. I want to lump all these together. Um, God is loving, gracious, merciful, compassionate, and long-suffering. I mean, they really all really kind of go together in their nature. Uh, God's love is as God is. You cannot separate the nature of God in in any attribute. God is sovereign. God's love is sovereign. God is sovereign. His His mercy is sovereign. He said, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I mean, uh, God is eternal. God's love for us is eternal. And His mercy that He has upon us is everlasting. I love thinking about the nature of God and, and in regards to God as eternal and then think about the other attributes of God. Look at what God says to Jeremiah in 31.3. Uh, Jeremiah 31.3. He says this. I believe this is as well for us. He says, The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. God's love for the people that He's going to redeem is a a special kind of love as well. We see that in Jeremiah 31.3, those that He draws with loving cords of kindness. We we find in Ephesians 1 and verse 3 through 7 uh, more about God's a love for His people that, that He's going to save. And it's amazing that God would love us even before the foundation of the world. We're told in Ephesians 1 and verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love having predestinated us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He has made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. The love of God is amazing that He would set His love upon any of us. Oftentimes we think about God's love and what I think about, some people say, well, I just don't understand how God could send anybody to hell. I can understand why God doesn't send all of us to hell. Because that's where we all deserve to go. Oftentimes we think about this and we think, well, uh, if God loves me, If God loves me, sometimes we might think other things in regards, well, why do bad things happen? And those are things we don't understand, but we know that for God's people, He's working it all out for our good because He loves us. Listen, when you consider every aspect of God, not only God's love, but you think about God's holiness, you have to think about God's love in light of His holiness as well. See, sometimes people just think about God's love and it kind of goes random with their thoughts and what they think about love. But you've got to think about God's love in light of who God is Himself, in light of what His truth says. And God is also holy. God does not love unholiness. God hates unholiness. He hates unholiness so much that when our sin was placed upon Jesus Christ, the Father turned His back on His Son, and the wrath of the Father came down upon Him. If you think little of your sin, look at Calvary and see what Christ went through. 
Now, God has a people that He loves that He's going to bring to glory with Him. And sometimes we look at that in the Scriptures and think, well, I don't understand all of that. Well, how do I know that that's me? Well, listen, if, let me tell you what you need to ask yourself. If you are a recipient of God's love and you really know the love of God, let me tell you what's going to happen. You're going to love God yourself. You are going to love God. You know why we love Him? Because He first loved us. And folks, everybody does not die loving God. We know God's love. We that are the people of God. And when you think about God's redeeming love, now I think there is a... We're so limited in our English language. That's why it makes it so hard to talk about this. We're so limited. We have one word for love. You know what that is? Love. <laughs> There's about 13 different Hebrew, Greek words that use the word. So it's very hard. We, we, we think of everything as all the way to love to all the way to hate. You know, and it's like we, we don't see anything in between. God does not rejoice in the death of the wicked. He says that. And, and though God's relationship with His people is different, God is still very, I'm going to use this word, loving, gracious, merciful, and compassionate to all of mankind. And the Word of God teaches that as well. He makes it rain, what? On the just and on the unjust. He is merciful in this life to all people. God is constantly giving people things they do not deserve. Good things, right? God is gracious. God does this not only in salvation of His people, but He constantly gives people what they do not deserve who have never been saved who, or who will never ever be saved. And it just, shows, it just goes to show the gracious, loving nature of God that He would do that while at the same time being a holy God that hates sin. While being a holy God who hates sin, but yet He is very gracious and kind and generous to people who hate Him in return. In Psalms 145 and verse 8, it says this, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all, and His tender mercies are over all of His works. Verse 14, the Lord upholds all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look expectantly to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Yes, there's a special love between God and His people, but at the same time, God shows love to all people by providing these all of the things they need in this life, being gracious and kind and merciful in so many ways. We are taught to be like Jesus. When we want to be like Jesus, then we have to love one another, and we have to show love even to our enemies. There have been many people that have died in their sins, rejecting Christ, and yet God fed them all the days of their life. That's how gracious God is. God is long-suffering with the wicked. And while man deserves immediately to be thrown into hell, the Lord gives him every breath he uses, even when he's using that breath to curse God and others. 
God's compassion is seen all around us. When I see how wicked our world is getting around us, I see the compassion and grace of God. The long-suffering of God. I'm thinking, how does a holy God not just bring down fire right now? God is long-suffering. God is slow to anger. Listen, He's slower to anger than us. (laughs) He's in great mercy. I think one of the things that that happens with with people is they uh, mistake... They mistake God's long-suffering for God's acceptance of things. In other words, um, many, many times people think things are okay in their life uh, that they're doing because, you know, nothing's coming down and getting them right now that's bad. Listen, you need to be reminded God is long-suffering. God is slow to anger. Uh, God's not bringing down chastisement or judgment immediately on something does not mean God's approval of it. Listen, the nation of Israel would go for some time, sometimes in wickedness before God would ever do anything. God, God shows compassion in, in, in many different ways. And one of those ways is He delays judgment. Delays judgment. doesn't mean judgment isn't coming, but He may delay judgment at times. He's a compassionate God. If we indeed know that our God, as we ought, as merciful and compassionate, uh, then, then we need to, to be strong in showing mercy and compassion. Well, I, I like what Philip Keller said. He said this, The only real practical measure of my apprehension for the goodness and mercy of God to me is the extent to which I am in turn prepared to show goodness and mercy to others. We kind of talked a little bit about that on Wednesday night and going through the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. You know, I I believe that we are often, very much often, a reflection of who we believe God to be. I I remember for, for some time, the first part of my ministry, I believe I was, I just wasn't very loving at all. I mean, if you don't think I'm loving now... You should have seen me 20 years ago, okay? I, but hopefully I've gotten more loving in my ministry. Why? Because I've got to know the Lord a little bit more. Hopefully I've become a little bit more merciful. Hopefully I've been a little stronger on truth and what is right and what is wrong. And so, so but what I'm saying, though, I had, I had an off view, I believe, the first part as a Christian of, of the nature of God, and it reflected in how I interacted with people. It reflected in my lack of patience. It reflected in my lack of mercy. It reflected in my lack of kindness. And then I realized, you know what, maybe I'm acting that way because I believe God to be that way. And so it really got my attention. We, we, we tend to, 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 to be more like the God that we really believe in. And hopefully... That's the God of the Bible. The people that know God's grace are more apt to show God's grace. The people that know God's love are the ones that are going to show God's love. If we can't show it, we don't know it. If we don't know it, 
We can't show it. Then lastly, I want to mention this as well. God is just. I turn to Nahum, if you would. Some of you aren't going to turn there because you don't know exactly where it's at. Um, if you have my Bible, it's page 1239, all right? I'm always afraid when I'm, when I'm up here talking that I'm going to forget where those minor prophets are at, and I'll be up here going, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Uh, pastor shouldn't forget these kind of things. Um, so I actually have a habit of writing down the page number on the minor prophets because I, I get them mixed up. Um, if you're trying to still look for it, Nahum is right after Genesis, okay? It's Genesis, Nahum. <laughs> now you're really messed up, aren't you? <laughs> if it helps, you try after Micah. <laughs> uh, Nahum, chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. You know, many, and I've already alluded to this, and I, I backed off of it because I got ahead of myself. Man may mistake God's compassion to mean that God will not punish them for their sin. Man is prone to mistake God's patience with sinners as God's toleration of sin. Man sins, and because God is long-suffering, man mistakes it of God's even approval of sin. And I think we see some of that mindset in our culture today. We have seen certain sins permeate our culture and grow and grow, and people look and they say, well, what, you know, God's not done anything. He hasn't done anything from heaven and rained down fire like you said He did in Sodom and Gomorrah. He hasn't done that. And I think that because, you know, we don't see that. People don't see that. They think, well, you know, God's not upset. God's not mad at those things. In Nahum chapter 1, verse 2, God is jealous and the Lord avenges. The Lord avenges. Listen, God also is the unchangeable God. Remember how God does not change? The Lord avenges and is furious. What? You know, the Lord is also slow to anger. That's true too. But the Lord is furious. This is written during a time when Israel would totally turn their back on God. The judgment of God had just built up. The Lord avenges and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on His adversaries. And He reserves wrath for His enemies. Reserves wrath for His enemies. Just because people are experiencing the wrath of God right now doesn't mean it's not there. And John chapter 3, it says that those who believe not, the wrath of God abides on them. Do you realize that if you have not repented of your sins and believed the gospel of Jesus Christ, the wrath of God is abiding on you right now? Read John chapter 3, the very last few, two verses. The Lord will take vengeance on His adversaries. He reserves wrath for His enemies. The Lord is slow to anger. That's good, but you need to know this too. And great in power. <laughs> we want to slow to anger. But He's great in power, and He's also a God of justice, and will not at all acquit the wicked. Listen, God is a God of justice. All wickedness must be punished. God's wrath is against sin. God is holy, and because of such, He must exercise holy vengeance and justice. Look at Deuteronomy 32, if you would, be there. Maybe our last, we'll have one more verse after that. 
Deuteronomy 32. Start with verse uh, 1 there. Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak, and hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, as raindrops on the tender herb and as showers on the grass. For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all His ways are justice. A God of truth. If you're going to be a God of truth, you have to be a God of justice. A God of truth and without injustice, righteous and upright is He. Listen, I get it sometimes as a Christian. I look at the injustice of the world, but it's the injustice of men. It's we don't see justice in our so-called justice system. And also we look at things that's going on and we say, well, if God is a God of truth and justice, why doesn't He do something? Folks, He's going to. Just because it's not happening right now doesn't mean it's not going to happen. He's a God of truth. He says He's going to exercise vengeance on, the, on His enemies. He's going to bring wrath down. That's going to happen. He's a God of truth and a God of justice. And He will perform that which He has stated. God's justice will be completely based on truth and righteousness. And because God is just... Every sin must be punished. You can't escape that. Sin is either punished by the substitution of Christ on the cross of Calvary or it's punished upon yourself in the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. Listen, your sin must be punished. God is a God of justice. And because God is righteous... Men may only be forgiven on the basis of the complete fulfillment of His law. Because God is just, He demands perfection. Perfection for you to enter into glory with Him. If you have any sort of self-evaluation at all this morning and truth of understanding about yourself, you should know that that is not you. But Jesus Christ... He is a complete embodiment of truth, never told a lie. He is a complete embodiment of mercy and of love and of grace. He is completely just, and He is the justifier of those who believe upon Him. Romans 3, 24-26 If you want to go to heaven, you must trust in the just one, Jesus Christ. He is the only one that can make us right with God the Father. Understanding that God is just, you also see how that sin cannot be punished twice. Listen, we trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior. We are forever saved by Him and through Him. Listen, we will be stronger as a people of God by knowing that God is truth. By knowing that God is love and gracious and compassionate and knowing that God is just. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? I am strengthened by the truth that God in the end is going to make it all right. That strengthens my soul. I believe in that. God is merciful yet just. Listen, we, we don't have 
to change the truth to act in grace. We should never change the truth. Matter of fact, you cannot act in truth. Oftentimes, what we want to do is we want to change what's true in order to show some sort of compassion for people or, or we want to try to make people more accepted. Folks, we can't change that. Truth is truth. You can't change it. It is absolute. It hasn't changed. God is unchanging. His Word is unchanging. What God has said is right is still right. What He says is wrong is still wrong. I, I don't have to let go of truth, though, to be merciful to people. I don't have to let go of truth to be kind to people. God doesn't. God doesn't. But I don't want to change what's right so that people will accept me. Oftentimes, what we're really trying to do is not trying to be more accepting of people. We want to be more accepted of people. And we can't change the truth to be more accepted of people. We might need to change our attitudes a little bit sometimes. <laughs> I've had to do that. But I cannot change what is right. I think that as we face uncertain days ahead in our world and our culture, we need to know God more know who He is, that we might be like Him, might be strengthened by Him. Because folks, we're going to need it. The days of darkness, the days of lies, the days of injustice are here. And the only way we're going to be strong in these times is to know the God of the Word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray Your blessings, Lord, upon uh, the Word that is spoken. I feel so weak up here, Lord, in trying to talk about You. How does one of myself, Lord, trying to describe the nature of God. The only thing I can go to is Your Word and what You have to say about Yourself. And even in that attempt, I see just how short I fall. How can we truly understand and comprehend a God as vast and large as You are? The One that can hold all of the heavens in the palm of His hands. Father, I thank You for what You have revealed to us about You and help us to know more about You. And Father, I pray that uh, You would help us to proclaim who You are to this lost and dying world. They need Jesus. Help us to be a voice of truth. Help us to stand for truth. Help us at the same time to be a people of grace and love and mercy. And help us to proclaim, Lord, the justice of God. People need to hear all of that and see all of that. Bless us now as we go into these baptisms. Bless Savannah and bless Peter as we baptize them today. Thank you for the profession of faith. In Christ's name we pray and amen. All right.